Theorema, the new approach of Godere la Vita, enjoying life as a brilliant match of technology and design. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. This episode is a special edition dedicated to the world's first completely virtual concept car theorema. Theorema is the new Pininfarina concept car completely developed by using VR technologies. An all-new interpretation of fully electric autonomous mobility brilliantly matching user experience and technology. Since this project not only involved Pininfarina working internally between Italy and China, but also numerous collaborations with technology companies, we would like to show both sides in this podcast, the technology side and the design side. After all, collaborations in mobility topics, but also innovative technologies are absolutely the right keywords for Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Join me on this journey if you also want to know more. In this episode, I would like to welcome four guests. Xavier Blanc-Baudrier as Head of Experience and Product Design, Kevin Rice as Chief Creative Officer, both from Pininfarina in Italy, Jürgen Pfeiffer as Head of Mechanics and Hardware Engineering from Continental Engineering Services, and Alessandro Dini, Chief Sales and Marketing Officer from Wayray. And now let's use this brilliant opportunity to talk about this new concept, Cartiorema, as well as about future mobility in the broader sense and find out together how the synergies between technology and design can be used. And not just looking 15 years into the future, but starting already now. Of course, as I welcome great personalities as guests in every episode, we will also talk about personality-related questions. What inspires my guests? How do they handle difficulties? Where do they still learn the most today? We will find out all of that together. Let's start. Kevin, Godere la vita, which means enjoying life in the most beautiful language, Italian, was in the focus of the whole creation of Theorema. Well, we live in a fast-paced times where efficiency in everything is a must. How is this Godere la vita approach justified here? That's a very good question. And uh, it goes back to how people used cars in the past. Cars were a source of freedom, enjoyment, and people could really enjoy themselves in a car by driving them fast, having fun. And that's completely become impossible today. So there's many traffic queues, there's all sorts of problems on the road. Even if you want to enjoy yourself driving a car, you have to drive it so fast to feel that thrill or, or that excitement that in practical terms, you can't really enjoy driving a car in the same way as you used to. But what happens in modern life with cars is you get stuck on, uh, on a freeway, on an autobahn, you get stuck there, there's lots of work on the road, you can't drive as you wanted to, you can't park the car easily, there's a lot of frustration. And that won't particularly change in the future, but the whole point was 
in those periods where you can't really drive properly, why can't you enjoy your life in those moments, in particular in those moments? And then, of course, when you do have free passage and you can drive freely, then there's a whole different approach to a journey than we've ever had before. And by using uh, new technology, smart technology, and actually taking that as, as the real, real inspiration, we've found completely new ways to enjoy the journey again and to do one thing which uh, in the last 20 years really hasn't ever happened, and that's to encourage people to want to drive with more than one or two people in the vehicle car. Because many years ago, people would drive together because they didn't have their own cars. But in recent years, almost everybody uh, drives alone. So if we can create an atmosphere in the vehicle where more people can actually enjoy themselves at the same time in different ways in one vehicle, then that's a revolution of, of modern life, or at least that's the way we see it. So that gives you back the enjoyment of life when you're moving. And, and that was the, the main inspiration behind the whole vehicle from, from the first day. And then, you know, we found technologies which allow us to do that. We found a package, a proportion that allows us to do that. So it's really bringing back enjoying life into today's complicated world. And in actual fact, I'm not sure that uh, I'm in agreement that, you know, modern times is all about efficiency in everything in which we do. Uh, we spend so much time wasting time, and it's during those moments that, you know, this vehicle is its strongest when it comes to enjoying those moments through the intelligent use of new technology. So true. So the process is much more important than the goal itself. And actually, the social aspect is also super, super important here. Jürgen, Continental Engineering Services team was responsible for smart surfaces in Teorema project. What features have you as team made possible? So thank you, Ludmila. It's great to be here and have the opportunity to talk about the integration of our morphing technologies. So what exactly does this mean? Imagine a complete clean dashboard panel or a center console with invisible buttons or displays that only appear when demanded. The button appears out of nowhere and moves out of the dashboard towards the user. This could be triggered, for example, by a proximity sensor if a hand appears or by an interior camera if the driver looks at this surface. Morphing surfaces also equipped with illumination through the surface and haptic feedback. These new technologies all follow the future trend of clean surfaces with less distraction for the passengers. So less distractions or the safety um, aspect was one of the main aspects to develop this kind of technology and to integrate it into your EMA project? So because we are also considering embedded functional safety architecture where we put in also the smart surfaces and on the other hand also a kind of uh, more comfortable interior compartment. Absolutely. Uh, what Jürgen says is really, really fundamental to the vehicle. And it's something that for us at Pininfarina was, was even more so important. And that's why I'm so pleased that Continental's approach uh, matches our own. And one of the fundamental issues with today's modern technology is that sometimes maybe it's the positioning of touchscreens or something like that. It's actually a distraction 
in particular for the driver, and uh, to bring back uh, natural ergonomics, I think the smart surfacing is really, really good because the whole idea is you don't take your eyes off the road, you focus on where you're driving, but you know intrinsically where the main functions are, they're hidden under the, uh, the main surfaces, but when you approach them with your hands, they then appear, they physically appear through the surfaces, and you can feel them. You can feel them. There's a tactile response, and that is much easier to control the vehicle in those ways because you don't have to look down to make sure, what well, did I touch the right button? Did it do what I asked it to do? Uh, you can actually feel it physically, like you would with a conventional button, but because these are hidden, because they only appear when you need them, that's a really, really strong safety feature to avoid distraction from looking where you're meant to be going. Absolutely, but you still know, let's say, where to find them. So you, you still need to, uh, to have this kind of information, okay, that you know where are all these features, even they are hidden at that uh, particular time. Xavier, could you please tell us how and when the idea of this purely virtual concept car theorema was born and with what intention? So I think, I mean, there are two things behind the, um, the, the project theorema. I mean, the first one is an evolution that we see in the industry, in the automotive industry, towards like actually borrowing from ways of working from other industries, especially from the digital industry, which for years has relied on very early mocking up, prototyping for evaluating the ideas that we're working on, finding ways to make them tangible very early so that we can evaluate them internally, we can evaluate them with the people that we're designing for, the actual end users. So I think this is like the real starting point of Theorema was there, which is like in reflection of the way the way we work is changing. So, I mean, years back, I mean, you would you would get like a first physical manifestation or, or tangible manifestation of your design when you go and make a physical model. Well, today, I mean, the way we're working is that very early on, I mean, our designers are actually like engaging into translating their ideas, their 2D sketches very, very quickly into 3D volumes that we could actually put in VVR as a way first to inform the design internally. But then these are like processes and methods that we, we carry on and used to expose our like early ideas to other stakeholders, potential users, and so on. And then, I mean, on top of that, I would say that the COVID crisis suddenly has acted as an accelerator. Because I think, I mean, we, we've all witnessed that in the last two years, the, ways we were, the, the, the way we work has been quite profoundly affected and impacted by, by, by the COVID crisis, and has been actually simply accelerating something that was already at play. So it was not initiated, let's say, by the pandemic. It was just accelerated. It was not, uh, let's say, uh, the idea of Theorema was not born during the pandemic. No, 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 absolutely not. So, but, okay. I mean, but certainly the pandemic has been accelerating like a number of like new practices and accelerating the, uh, I mean, the, the evolution of the way we work. Mm -hmm. Alessandro, Theorema is a concept car which can be reality in, let's say, about 15 years. But let's talk technically about here and now. The companies AGP eGlass and Wayray are jointly developing the world's first hollow windshield for holographic augmented reality displays. For this, AGP eGlass has developed a technology that puts holographic optical elements in the windshield. Can this be applied to any car model or are there also technical limitations? 
Hi, Gudmila. First of all, uh, thanks to having me here today. So yes, AGP is one of our first partners that we announced at uh, EI in Munich uh, last month in September. And they are our partner in the development and industrialization of uh, the windshield technology. Our true AR HD technology has a different background from um, all the conventional HD. We are laser-based and holography-based, and the windshield is one of the core part of our technology. For sure, uh, we have started uh, targeting the uh, passengers' cars market, but our technology can virtually be applied to any vehicle. So in the near future, we would also expand towards commercial vehicles, trucks, and any other sort of special vehicles, for example, construction vehicle, agriculture vehicle, and so forth. Also, other means of transportation, like, for example, trains or even airplanes in the near future can be tackled with the, our true AR HUD technology. Basically, we can virtually adapt our technology to any vehicle that has a glazed surface where we can apply the holographical optical element and have a little bit of limited space and volume available at a dashboard level to embed the projection unit. So it's an infinity of opportunities awaiting of you when I listen to you like that. <laughs> so, yes, and uh, indeed we are looking forward to, as I mentioned before, start with the passenger's car market, but then move uh, way beyond. And we have already uh, some partners and ideas in that regard. When you mentioned the plane, so in what time you expect it to be a reality? Well, being a startup, we start with the first opportunity to go in the market, that is the passenger's cars. And this will be in a few years from now. We still haven't uh, mentioned, let's say, the timeline for the other uh, kind of verticals or the other industry. But it will be quite soon because once you have developed the technology uh, and industrialized it and is ready for mass production, As you can clearly understand, you can fine-tune and customize the geometry for other means of transportation pretty pretty quickly and efficiently. So we have to watch out and stay tuned what will come out that says media release. But Kevin, this Teorema is a concept car which should represent the reality in just about like 15 years or so. How do today's possibilities for holographic augmented reality differ from those used for Teorema? They differ in the sense that if we're talking about real holographic augmented reality options on particular vehicles for today, those options are very, very limited because it's the company Wei Ray who really specializes uh, mostly in, in, uh, in this kind of, kind of technology. And this is, is groundbreaking. It's groundbreaking. So the short answer is there is no real proper holographic augmented reality uh, in production at the moment. And what we've been doing together with uh, Weiwei on the Teorema project is to basically preview what will happen in the next years. Now, whether it's five, 10 or 15, uh, we shall see. But um, I think it's possible that some of those features that we're showing in Teorema will come even before 15 years. Wow, that's impressive. That's a good thing to know, actually. Um, I, will, I will check in 15 years <laughs> from now on <laughs> what's going on in reality. And... Let's stay at, at all those tech features. Jürgen, one would like to equip the newest car models with the greatest and newest tech features. 
But at the same time, one does not want that the operation of a car becomes as complicated as the operation of an airplane, for example. How do you manage to balance this between the functionality and user-friendliness? How do you balance that, that it has both? So, well, Ludmilla, this is exactly the benefit we are offering with our morphing surfaces and function on demand. So the input devices, displays and buttons are only visible if they are needed or requested. So the users are not distracted by unrelevant functions, making control very user-friendly and easy. Now the question for Xavier. Every high-tech product has technical challenges. What were the biggest challenges for Teorema project? So I would say that maybe, I mean, the biggest challenge was not like a high-tech challenge per se. It was actually more like a, uh, an economic challenge. So, I mean, Teorema, one of the, the key uh, drivers behind Teorema was to provide like, the easiest entry possible into the vehicle. And then, I mean, we, we really had like to, to think hard and, and invent like a new way of entering the vehicle. And I think what we wanted to do there is like leverage and try to see what are the possibilities that, I mean, the new platforms, I mean, the new electric, uh, the EV platforms are offering like manufacturers like generally. And basically what they allow us to do is to reopen completely. I mean, the very way we, we conceive these, uh, these vehicles. So here we wanted to take the chance of using this concept as a way to explore can we imagine like a new way to enter this car? And we thought that maybe, I mean, the, the re-entry was offering interesting uh, possibilities. So the biggest challenge there was actually, and this is where, again, uh, virtual reality was extremely useful in allowing us to, to test without having to build anything. So we didn't have like to, to, to construct any physical model or anything, but simply by projecting these things in VR, we were able to understand what were the constraints? What are like economically speaking? What are like the volumes and spaces that we had like to uh, to uh, that, that we needed? And then the main challenge was then to invent the the kinematics of the movable roof system that actually moves upward and forward. I think I mean, that was probably the the biggest challenge that we had to address in in that particular phase. And as soon as somebody said in the design process, let's make a rear entry, was it immediately like a genius idea? Or was it like, oh, um, maybe not? <laughs> or how can we do that? No, but I mean, and, and this is exactly the point where we want to get and, and really to, to leverage technology to support and inform the design and, and explore like new possibilities at, at a minimum cost. Because I mean, then I mean, at that point where you say, well, why not? I mean, let's try to see, I mean, can we make it work? So can we make it work? And is it really like creating value? Because at the end of the day, I mean, designing, like making innovation for making an innovation has like no sense. An innovation is like meaningful only insofar as it providing value for, I mean, someone. And in that particular case, what we wanted to assess is that, is this indeed really like easing, making the, the, the entering the vehicle with like suitcases and so on? Is this really like easing that entry into the vehicle? And the answer was yes. So in that sense, yes, it was a good idea. And that's actually the essence of design, right? It's not just about looking nice, but also about functionality. So making things better. Absolutely. I think there, there was the, the creator of the MoMA in New York, of the architecture department, had a very nice definition. I mean, she says, design is about creating or inventing what the world didn't know it was missing. And this is exactly what, I mean, our, our business is all about. 
Thank you for opening up the curtain and uh, let's say to the look behind the scenes. Alessandro, and what are the current opportunities with Wayray's Deep Reality Display? Uh, sure. The Deep Reality Display is uh, the latest advancement of our true AR HD technology. It was unveiled a few weeks ago at uh, ETA at Munich. And basically with this uh, new technology, we can uh, design and augment a user interface across different focus distances in front, of course, the driver. But this uh, in a specific way and as a continuum. So we don't have any kind of uh, eyes refocusing effect because we can design and augment the UI as a continuum. So this is giving an experience with a kind of uh, depth and 3D effect to, to the user. So every sort of UI that we design on the windshield in front uh, and around the driver will have uh, a very, very immersive 3D effect. And this is something quite uh, unique today. This is, of course, very interesting and relevant for the current status, let's say an L2.5 or L3 status where the driver is still actively driving the car because it gives a more relevant experience on the navigation information, but becomes even more interesting thinking about the future of autonomous driving, moving to L4 and L5 situation and adding additional uh, use cases like, for example, reach an interactive point of interest, anything that you can think of around infotainment, including the gaming experience. Gaming experience, of course, very interesting, especially for the passengers that are sitting next to the driver. With our technology, we have also the unique benefit of having a very small projection unit, so very small volume that is top-notch at the industry today. We are around three liters only of projection unit volume. And due to this uh, strength, we can embed a dual system in a car, basically one projection unit in front of the driver and one projection unit in front of the passenger. And in this scenario, we can also play different type of uh, use cases and the UI across the two units. And as mentioned before, for example, stream some gaming, interactive gaming content uh, for the passenger. And the driver sees all the elements of augmented reality right in the front of him. So he's not distracted by the, let's say, virtual uh, details of uh, the passengers when they are playing around. Of course, it's good that you mention uh, the two systems are completely separated and uh, the images and the UI can be seen only by the user that is in the proper position. So technically, we talk about eye box. So when uh, your eyes and your head are within a certain uh, limited area, so basically the driver is able to see only the information in front of himself or herself not being distracted by the information in uh, the windshield area in front of the passenger and vice versa. So also the safety that is, of course, one of our key uh, drivers when we start developing the technology is maintained. Thank you. Xavier, you also recently mentioned that uh, the rear entry and you also introduced Teorema at Car Design Dialogues Asia and you said there, we wanted to make it the easiest vehicle to ever been loaded. Well, It doesn't have side doors, as you said, so it has this whole roof and rear part elegantly moving up and forward, so you do not have to bend down and to get in. 
So how did the mobility world react to that? As you said already, it was internally a challenge for you. So how was the reaction to that? Well, I would say that there are two sides to, to the answer. I mean, the first one is like, how is the rest of the, the industry reacting to it? I mean, as with any new novelty, I mean, normally it's not, I mean, the first reaction is always like eyebrows raising and kind of like a bit in, uh, in showing uh, surprise or doubts. I think more interesting is like how people, which would be the actual like users or, or people buying such a car, I mean, are reacting. And this is more, I think, I mean, then, I mean, the, the reaction is actually uh, quite positive. I mean, the, the reactions that we, we, we see coming indicating that, well, I mean, this actually sounds like a good idea and addressing like real challenges that we, I, as a user, I'm facing with the cars to, as of today. So in that sense, I mean, the reactions are rather positive, I would say. Mm -hmm. And actually, do you have to consider the reaction of the automotive world, let's say, when you do the design? So how much do you take that into consideration at all? No, because I mean, we're not designing, I mean, as far as I know, we're not designing for our competitors. We are actually designing for the actual users of, of the vehicles. So what really matters to us is making sure that we are creating value for those people that we're designing for. So convenience always wins. Absolutely. Kevin, no side doors also means that car becomes stiffer and lighter. What advantage does that bring in terms of design? Where did you have more degrees of freedom, so to speak? Actually, one of the, uh, the main parts of this vehicle, which was fundamental in being able to produce these amazing experiences, which we talked about earlier, you know, about godere la vita, to return the enjoyment uh, of driving, was literally to do with the very first part of a journey. So as you start off a, a, on a journey, wherever you're going, especially if you're with a family and you're loading the vehicle up with luggage and so on, uh, or getting in the vehicle in general, It's kind of difficult, especially when you're putting luggage in and so on. It's uh, an ergonomic difficulty, which actually starts the vehicle, uh, starts the, the drive, starts the, the drive off in, in, in less than perfect circumstances. So one of the things we thought about, which was really fundamental, is what's the easiest way to enter a vehicle? What's the easiest way to store that luggage in a vehicle? And actually, side doors are not very easy, especially rear side doors. Everyone has to bend down. They have to duck their head under the rail. And uh, certainly for older people, of course, that's, uh, that's some, somewhat of a difficulty. So we were thinking, what's the easiest way to enter the vehicle? So that's why we came up with the idea of rear entry. The knock-on positive effect of that meant no side doors, as you rightly said, means we have a stiffer vehicle, a lighter vehicle. And that's really, really important, especially for electric-powered vehicles, because, of course, we all talk about range. And the heavier the vehicle, less the range. Lighter the vehicle, obviously, the range extends. That also, especially the, the platform, the, the skateboard platform, which we're using, is very, very flat. It's uniquely flat compared to other vehicles which have a similar technical approach, and that allows us to have an amazing flexibility in the package, which also means we can change the seating positions and so on. And then, of course, it allowed us, allows us to do some other interesting things on the aerodynamic side, because we have no side doors, then that allows us to create this uh, lateral venturi system, uh, which allows us to force the air to stay longer attached to the, uh, the vehicle body side 
which improves aerodynamic efficiency, which in turn then extends the range. So you can't really say, you know, there was one advantage more important than the other, or one idea was better or more important than the other, but all those things came together and fundamental actually to hold all those ideas together was uh, the decision we made not to have side opening doors. Can I imagine the process like this so that you sit together and you decide, okay, I would like to have this and that experience in this this car, let's say, and then you would try to to find design elements which would be fitting to that or how does it really look like behind the scenes? Normally when you start a design project, you speak to the design team and they sketch something beautiful. And uh, then they kind of have a design competition and they're looking for the most beautiful car. And uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in that, that traditional approach. But we didn't start that way. We said, okay, we have an issue that uh, in today's world, it's really not easy driving a car and having fun driving a car. We want to use new technology to give these amazing new experiences. What are those experiences? So we sat down uh, over, over actually a number of weeks, almost a month or so, once in a while, coming back to the, you know, the different themes we talked about. And these ideas kind of matured step by step. Uh, this was before we'd actually started the design project itself. And talking about these possibilities, these things like, you know, ease of loading and so on, they all came into discussion. And at that time, it wasn't kind of like, well, we need a, you know, a solution for all of this. But these were uh, ideas that were in discussion. And then when it came to actually putting a car together, we said, okay, how many of these wishes can we fulfill? And we said, okay, there's some wishes, wishes which are absolutely fundamental. We must find ways to deal with those. And then we went looking for the technical solutions. In parallel, of course, it's great to know, you know, what Continental are doing, what uh, Wayray are doing. And that's, you know, that's information we always had in the background. So when we were talking about, you know, how do we do side projections on the glass or so on, or how do we do the smart surfaces, we already knew there was a technical way to do it. And, and that gave us a lot more uh, confidence in deciding which of all those wishes we could fulfill. And, uh, but that's a very unusual way to start a design project, normally because you don't have so much time on a conventional design project. And in this particular case, we took a time to uh, make all the decisions before we actually started doing the design work itself. And what came out as a result is an amazing experience and amazing product. And as I can assume, a great collaboration as well. Jürgen, if we look at the development of interfaces and functionalities in the car, it is very clear that at the beginning you had all kinds of buttons and knobs mechanically, and then the design changed from rough to elegant. Then came the digital era with the touch displays. Now it is buttons appearing out of nowhere based on smart surface technologies. Where is the journey of smart surfaces heading? Yeah, this is a great question, Ludmilla. Now our smart surface is only showing buttons or displays. The next evolution step would be navigation maps, for instance, using dynamic freeform 3D morphing features to visualize the shapes of the landscapes with mountains and valleys. That's actually super interesting. So th to see this evolution and to see also this evolution in those kind of projects. So uh, super interesting to observe where is it really going. And I mean, 
um, you do those kind of projects and you kind of project the imagined reality and then we live and we just see that reality happening. So and let's see if it will really fulfill. And now, Alessandro, let's dive in more into the technical details. So all conventional head-up displays technologies are sensitive to external sunlight and bright sun. How Wayrace is solving this technical challenge? Yeah, completely true and uh, very correct to say that the conventional HUD technology is suffering from this. This is basically also coming from the fact that the conventional HUD are usually TFT or LCD based. So they use this type of technology as a source of light. At Wayray, we have completely changed the architecture and the strategy of the product. And as I briefly mentioned before, we use lasers as a source of light and a DLP, a projector. With this combination of technologies, we can achieve very high brightness, very sharp images, and pretty much saturated colors when comparing our technology with, the, I would call it more traditional acid or TFT-based technology. In parallel, we are also developing unique coating. So we call it AR coating, and this is our uh, unique technology, and it's also under IP. And this will uh, uh, even increase uh, the efficiency of our windshield and overall system in uh, suppressing any kind of uh, reflection that you may have and experiment on the windshield due to the external lighting or, let's say, uh, sun position relative to, to the car and the driver. When is it planned to go public? We haven't uh, still uh, announced publicly the first launch with the first uh, OEM because, as you may imagine, the programs are all under NDA today, but it will not be uh, too much far away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Theorema is set up as fully electric and autonomous. I don't think anyone doubts that the future will be electric or is electric. Autonomous driving at level five, however, at least currently, it's a hotly disputed topic. But you gave Theorema three modes right from the start. Autonomy mode, drive mode, and rest mode. Why is that so? Is it because you think that drive mode will always be optional, no matter how far into the future we think? Or what kind of thought processes have been going on in the background? So I think, I mean, as you rightfully point out, I mean, level five is something that we all try to attain, but it's going to be like a long way until we we get there. So it is going to be a long transition towards like, that endpoint or hypothetical endpoint. And in the meanwhile, there are two things that are at play here. The first one is that before we can depend solely on self-driving vehicles, we will need to have like a level of coordination between vehicles with infrastructure that is going to be extremely long and, and difficult to attain. So in that, that period, we will, I mean, like driving will be still required in a number of occasions. If we take just as an example, if we compare, for instance, the the conditions in, uh, I don't know, uh, urban traffic in China versus urban traffic here in Italy. Well, I mean, we are looking at that, obviously, two completely different cases where, I mean, it probably will take like still decades before um, any technology is able to to navigate safely in the streets of uh, Napoli or even Torino, which is like way more behaved driving behavior than you would find in uh, in the South. But then, I mean, on top of that, there is another aspect, which is that at the moment, a lot of like, the interaction that we have between vehicles actually goes through the eyes. We don't realize that, but a lot of like, the mediation that we have to disambiguate like, complex situations is actually going through, I mean, me as a, as a driver, looking at you as a driver, and 
our like quick exchange I mean, allow us to, to understand I mean, who is going to do, to do what. And this is like something that I mean for like self-driving cars, I mean, this is probably one of the most difficult like technological elements that we, we will need to solve. And before we are there, I mean, probably the uh, driving will still remain, manually driving a vehicle will remain the best way to handle such situations. You know, it's uh, actually kindness one of the um, uh, details which will be tricky to uh, to apply because I mean when when we see another another person and we just say go first right and we just show a sign and and they go right but how to train something like that to a car that's maybe a kind of a challenge let's say and, and no artificial intelligence can solve that and it's not only like in the interpretation so communication is always like two ways so it's not only like getting the the message right but it's actually being able to communicate back. And that communicating back is, is where, I mean, I personally see the biggest challenge today. And whether we're talking about communicating with another vehicle or with a pedestrian that is like crossing in front of me or with a bicycle or a kick scooter that is like going on the side. But actually, when one day autonomous driving will be possible, then you still created a very nice environment to have really enjoyable, pleasant time within the Teorema. So as you created kind of very nice looking living room so where you can relax you can talk you can communicate and so on so that's also another part the truth is that what we strongly believe in and actually this was the topic of the demonstrator that we had built for the geneva motor show in 2018 autonomia which was to say what what we foresee is that gradually we will actually face sequences of, of our journeys where, I mean, self-driving will be available. It will be made available gradually and increasingly. And those moments of, of our journeys are, are those moments where, indeed, I mean, we, we would like to be able to, like, lift the, the, the hands of the wheel and have a nice time in our vehicles instead of, like, big driving. True. Now, Alessandra, let's stay at this topic of autonomous driving. If autonomous driving becomes a reality, elements of augmented reality will not be needed for navigation, but the focus will be more on infotainment for passengers. What other trends related to augmented reality do you see in the changing landscape of mobility? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't want to say that we think AI will be more relevant in a kind of L4 or L5 autonomous driving scenario. I think we see it as relevant as of today. It will just be a matter of changing the type of use cases and changing the, the relevancy for the user and most probably expanding this um, opportunity, uh, let's say, beyond the driver. So in the current environment, as I briefly mentioned before, uh, the main focus and goal will be to give to the driver the most relevant and immersive and also safe uh, information for navigation. When I say safe, this uh, it's coming from the fact that uh, we are the only technology on the market today that can design and properly place the UI in the right position of the windshield and also with the right focus distance in front of the driver, meaning that there is no blind flight and no distraction whatsoever because the driver is always focusing on the road, ahead of himself or herself, uh, at the pedestrian, at the car, or at any object, and uh, keeping uh, focus and, and safety. So this is, let's call it an L2.5 scenario of, of today. Then moving, of course, 
to an L3, L4, and 5, where ultimately all the cars will be autonomous driving and uh, the drivers will become kind of passengers as well. In this scenario, we still see augmented reality as highly relevant because, as briefly mentioned before, we can move to slightly different but still very interesting use cases about, for example, interactive and rich point of interest of interests that are related to the position of that given vehicle at any given time, infotainment, social media, as well as gaming. Gaming means that we can uh, create an experience of gaming that is uh, connected and linked to the environment in front and around the car. So imagine that you are in autonomous driving mode and the car is driving in the highway and you can have a gaming experience with your virtual car and is racing across the real cars in a real environment. So this is, of course, clearly possible thanks to our technology, the rendering engine and the ADAS capability of, uh, of the car. In that regard, meaning the future of uh, use cases and experience in, in an autonomous driving vehicle, we are all developing an SDK, a software development toolkit, with the idea to give the opportunity to end the developers, third-party developers, uh, even OEMs and other brands, to develop applications that are custom-made for our technology, and that can be distributed through a marketplace and can be, let's say, searched and downloaded and installed by the end users, meaning the driver or the passengers, to let's say, enrich their experience and make their journey more fulfilling because, of course, they are looking for some information about whether it is a social media platform they are already subscribed or it is uh, their preferred cafeteria and brand of coffee or anything about gaming, as I mentioned before. And the technology is able to adapt to the preferences, so it's learning as soon as I use it? Well, let's say we have different software technologies, the, the rendering engine, prediction algorithm, attention act. These are all technologies that are running seamlessly in the background to give the more, uh, let's say, fulfilling and safe and relevant experience for the end users. But uh, if we focus on the word relevancy, we think that uh, the goal is not to try to stream as much content as possible on the, the windshield, uh, but it is more to give the opportunity to the end user, whether it is a driver or a passenger, to select the right content for himself or herself based on their own, let's say, taste, desire, the brand they are following. So giving this marketplace opportunity for them to select which brands or applications are more relevant and interesting for them so that they can activate them. And whenever these applications are sending content on the windshield, it is really relevant for that specific user. And it is enhancing, let's say, the experience and not, let's say, distracting or bothering the user. So customization is a key point here, let's say. Kevin, please give us a short glimpse into the design reality. I mean, you started already to talk about this uh, kind of uh, design processes which uh, start at the beginning of such a project or such a, an unusual project at least. But usually one does studies of what the customers might want and might need. One has own creative thoughts and ideas. 
And then in the end, you design usually for a client. How bold, daring, and unusual can you be as a designer nowadays? Well, actually, uh, there's two ways to answer that because I guess you kind of uh, hinting at the idea of how would we work on, on normal design projects for, for normal clients and so on. But in the case of the Teorema, there's also clients. They might be somewhat more theoretical, but we started literally with the wishes of the clients or what we imagined the wishes of the clients to be. And in that sense, then, we could be as bold and daring and as advanced and unusual as we wanted to be on the Teorema. Uh, and even then in a normal design project, when we might have a much closer controlled brief and clear information from customer focus groups or, or whatever, uh, and it might seem like the design scope is, is, is very restricted, in actual fact, those what we call normal or commercial uh, design projects with clients is actually more challenging and requires more creativity than something like the Teorema, where you don't have any uh, bounds or any restrictions, so to speak, because we can do what we want on those ones. But it actually is a lot more uh, challenging and you need to be more creative to come up with something which is exciting, which is new, which is relevant to the market. And it depends very much uh, which kind of clients you're working for, which markets, of course. Uh, but the whole point about doing good design is not if it's advanced or crazy or bold. It's, is it relevant? Now, that's the most important point. And all through history, the successful designs, even ones which could have been, you know, at the time, somewhat unusual, they were really relevant to the problem they needed to solve at the time. Other ones, which were even more bold and whatever, and could have been seen as design icons, actually didn't fulfill the purpose because at that moment in time, no one required that purpose to be fulfilled. And there's a, a whole bunch of cars in the past that wonderful design, bold and terrific, but never really were successful. Uh, so it's really, the whole point is how relevant is that design idea you come up with to actually the market requirements at that time. So uh, the 70s was wonderful because the market requirements were, were something incredible and wild and to make it look like you could fly to the moon or something. That was what the public wanted to see. That's why those cars were so uh, in incredible. And even now when we look back, how on earth could they have thought of those things? The 80s was different and had certain requirements in the 80s. And nowadays we've come to a point where actually a lot of clients really ask, ask us to be even bolder and more adventurous than we would have actually thought of being ourselves. So it's actually turned the other way. Now, the new projects we're working on, there's a strong demand from uh, manufacturers to be more bold and more exciting. And that comes from the fact that they know the clients are actually the customers uh, themselves actually are requiring that. That doesn't mean it has to be weird or strange. It has to be bold. It has to be wonderful. But it has to, as I said, has to be relevant. You know, it sounds like Teorema Project is then super challenging, but also like a creative paradise for designers. Would you agree on that? A absolutely, because uh, at that moment, we as a design team, we are defining the design brief. We have the flexibility and the freedom to, to study the market uh, in, in peace in our own time and come up with our own 
theories and so on, and that, that's great. And it's, it's a real creative uh, festival for the design team. But I think a lot of designers get equal excitement, sometimes even more, by taking what you might call a conventional project and turning that into something special with some clever uh, uses of creativity that maybe you know the designer himself wouldn't normally expect to do. But because he's challenged by the difficult design brief, he actually comes up with something even more exciting. And that gives the designer, I know, even more pleasure than if he has a blank sheet of paper in front of him. Thank you very much for sharing those insights, because usually we do not have this kind of information from behind the scenes, what, what happens actually there. And now let's move from the topic of, uh, let's say, designers' wishes to customer wishes. Jürgen, how well do customers accept such new concepts, for example, as buttons appearing out of nowhere? Do they trust that it will work, that the buttons will appear at the right time when they need to, without any failures? Or does human nature demand more security? This is a very good point, Ludmilla, because new technologies need to prove their real reliability so that they are accepted. Continental engineering services spend the time and the effort with a very dedicated team to do exactly this task. We have presented our demonstrators to many car makers, proving not only the functionality, but also combining the great valuable appearance. I can confirm an extremely high interest in our smart surfaces. It is important that our customers are able to personally experience the demos. It's completely free configurable depending on the customer's request. As already stated, a trigger for the movement could be an interior camera with eye tracking or a proximity sensor. Another example could be also to show different buttons or displays depending on the selecting driving mode. For instance, if you have a race mode or a sport mode. Regardless of this configuration, our system will be fully reliable and embedded into the functional safety architecture. Do you usually also do any kind of test at the beginning so that you really test how the potential customers could relate to the new features? Yes, of course. We are doing testing, so we are building up prototypes in order that we can also feel the function from the customer points of view. So we are doing prototypes, doing testing, also with, with people who are not experienced with this automotive technology um, from an expert point of view, so that we get also then the feeling of people who are, who are very normal using just uh, the car as a kind of movement equipment. Xavier, so in the past, the level of customization we have today was accessible only to a happy few. But if we assume shared mobility, does the customer still want extensive customization at all or does it become irrelevant? Or since a car can be individualized much faster and more easily to augmented reality elements, it would become even more important. I think the, the, the first uh, the part of your question is like you, you talked about like shared mobility, but I think it, it goes even beyond that. I mean, we, we already, I mean, each one of us experiences like shared usership. So maybe you have a car, maybe your husband has a car, and, and at times are you interchange. I mean, you take your husband's car, he takes your car. And obviously, I mean, you two have most likely different preferences, different settings, and so on. Well, I think we all expect, I mean, 
we, we form our expectations from like the devices, from the services that we use. And digital technology has actually created a set of expectations that, I mean, we, we, we call them liquid expectations. So what I'm used to in different like contexts, I'm, I'm expecting to find them I in the same level of experience whether I use like a mobile service, a service on a mobile phone or when I'm using a car or when I'm using another product. So I think to, today the, the, the expectation is really that we, we would love, I mean, our cars to be able to recognize us and immediately like adapt back to either what we have like declared to the car, so the preferences that we have like explicitly, explicitly defined, or that the car can adapt to what implicitly it has been able to infer about ourselves. And this is where digital like, technology comes in and, and comes in very heavily to, in today's like, cars. I mean, it, it is really permeating the fabric of the car and our vehicles are actually becoming gradually capable of, of achieving that. So they are like sensing us. They have the capability to process, to build intelligence based on what they're sensing, what they are able to, to extract from observing us, of uh, sensing, I mean, the way we use the car, the functionalities that we use, the services that we use, the, the functionalities that, I mean, the, uh, or the content we, that we would like to, be, uh, to have projected on our windscreens, I mean, uh, as uh, described by Alessandro. And they have the ability then, I mean, to actuate. So to really like change settings and these settings could be, we could actually affect what is presented to me on the screen, what is to be presented to me through augmented reality, but I mean, also physically adjusting the car. And this is what actually the eruption of digital technology in the car is bringing today. How far would you accept this kind, what you said, observing us? So should it be also on the biological level? So depending on your blood pressure or heartbeat, uh, it should adjust the music you listen to and things like that. So how far does it, is it allowed to go? My personal opinion is that I think we, we probably should stick to behavioral level. If already, I mean, I, I mean, the, 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 the product and the services that I'm using are able to, based on my behavior, based on my context, are able to make like inferences that will actually bring value, that will not disturb in the, the flow of what I'm trying to do. That, that's something. Then, I mean, we, we may go and we, we already see this. I mean, we have already like uh, uh, the sensors that are able to, to see, I mean, whether you're falling asleep. So there are like some areas in which definitely uh, the sensing can, can add something in terms of like safety. But I don't think that we should be too, too ambitious with, with regards to how far we can go. I think, I mean, there, there will be limitations and there will be limitations in terms of probably of acceptance by what we as users are actually uh, ready to share with a car or with a product or with a service. So there should stay always a little bit room of freedom and free choice, let's say. Absolutely. Kevin, in the Teorema presentation, you talked also about screen detox. And indeed, when we look at this concept, you have the whole glass area as one giant screen. How can I still feel comfortable and even relax in this car? How is that implemented in practice? Screen detox, we experience on two levels. One thing is, okay, as we've talked about before, too much information uh, presented to the driver in particular can confuse him. That can then result in possible dangerous situations. And the other thing, 
And this is a market-led thing. And when something becomes too popular and every vehicle has it, then people have a situation where they start to get bored with it. They kind of say, well, everyone has that kind of approach to, you know, screens all over the car. And there comes a point when they kick back against that and they're looking for something which is a little bit more unique. So initially, oh, I have to have the same as everybody else. And then after a few years, hmm, I still have the same as, you know, thing as everybody else. And now I want something a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit special. So there's two reasons for detox. The one we concentrated on more than anything was, of course, the safety issues. Now, in future, whether we like it or not, there will be a, a lot more information uh, delivered inside the vehicle to the passenger, to the driver. Uh, many autonomous technologies with the radar systems, the LIDAR systems, that information has to be presented inside the vehicle. We're also seeing a situation where people are removing rearview mirrors and replacing those with screens. And again, that's more distraction. Depending on where those mirror screens are, you have to refocus. So it can be distracting. So for us, what's important is the information that's presented on the Teorema, you talk about a big screen. The big screen are the side screens, not the driver's screen. The information projected on the driver's screen is actually very little. It's down below the belt line. There's a cutout below the, the wraparound belt line of the vehicle. And you could call that a head-up display, but it's actually a heads-down display because the glass is cut out at that point, and that puts it right in the perfect ergonomic position for, for the best use of driver-relevant information. Everything else which is not driver relevant, you'll find on the side screens. And this again is a technology which uh, you know, we're benefiting from uh, that Wayray are developing. Now, that technology is driven also by a software approach using artificial intelligence, the holographic uh, approach as well. And combining all that, the system will learn and will then decide what's relevant to, to show, for example. So as the vehicle travels through the countryside, it might want to, in a, in a way, speak to the passengers and, and, and say, hey, do you realize what you're driving past is a really interesting national monument or something? And it will actually want to show that to you, but it will ask permission. It'll ask permission and, and then based on your response, it'll either show it to you or not. And, and of course, as you then at a certain time use it more and more often, the system using its artificial intelligence systems will then learn what is relevant for you and what's not. So it's not that the whole screen is always on. And when you want to rest in the vehicle, then you go into a mode where you ask for no disturbance. And, and of course, the other thing which uh, maybe we haven't touched on yet on the Teorema is there's three uh, levels of seating. There's the driver at the front, then we've got two passengers behind. But the passengers behind that, they are actually covered by the roof itself. They're completely covered by the roof itself, where you can actually completely cut off from whatever's happening in the rest of the vehicle. And, uh, and at that point, you can sleep you can have completely different experiences in that area. And the concept itself, the, the Teorema, 
concept vehicle in that area is using uh, surfaces uh, which appear and disappear to allow light to come through or to remain closed off. And, and that's a technology, of course, uh, which Jürgen is probably also very familiar with. So in one part of the vehicle, yes, you're completely open to side projections on the screens, but only when you allow it. Now, once you've then said, okay, well, I want that information, then you can throw it around from one side of the vehicle to the other. That won't disturb, uh, disturb the driver. And of course, the real time to do that is actually when the car is stationary, and then it, it's, it's almost looking, you know, like looking at a holographic computer screen or in a 360 surround cinema kind of thing when you've got, you know, the projections on either side of the vehicle and you're all in that communal cafe mode, as we call it, and you can all share that experience. But when it comes to driving, then um, the information that will be shown will be restricted as you require it to be. But that's really great that you really integrated those stream modes. And let's say it is super fitting because mobility is much more than just driving a car. And that's that's really, really matching. And actually, in the end, it will be anyway balanced between what kind of features do you need technically to be able to drive safely so that you are not distracted. But what? how much information do you really need and how much would be already too much? That's actually the point, right? So it, it always needs a balance. No, absolutely, Ludmilla, you're, you're completely right there. The word balance is really important. And, and that's why one of the aspects of screen detox for us is that uh, current vehicles, conventional vehicles, vehicles which will be coming on the market in the next few years, even though the projections on, on, the, on the big screens are not directly in front of the driver, the passenger might be accessing those projections at that particular moment, the driver still sees that in his periphery vision. And that can be just as disturbing as something, you know, Uh, jumping into his eyesight right in front of him. And that's why, again, you asked about the flexibility or the design advantages of having those side doors. That meant we could position the package exactly as we wanted. Uh, we call it neuron seating. The, the five people are positioned in a certain way because the neuron patterns, which actually feel experiences or convert experiences into emotions in the brain, have a a somewhat similar setup of, of uh, five neurons in that certain way. And being inspired from that, we discovered that by putting the driver forward, having the others wider to either side of him, and then the people behind somewhat narrower, uh, that, that allowed in any particular area to have perfect projection on the side screens, because at that point they're further away from the driver. They then don't disturb the people behind, Uh, because they are covered, as I said, with the with the roof itself. So that neuron seating pattern, those five people split into that particular way, that's also part of the reason why the ergonomics of side projection is actually an advantage and not a distraction. That's amazing. Now I have a picture in my mind, you know, so like the, the neurons and so on. So yeah, amazing. Jürgen, Theorema is an excellent example of cooperation between design and technology. What do you think were the key elements to make this collaboration so successful? Oh, these are very important aspects, Ludmilla. The market demands and trends are moving to have more comfortable and clean interior designs, just as Kevin explained before, but not losing functionality, so like, like in a living room. 
especially in autonomous vehicles, the level of design and luxury interior components will increase and the future vehicle will be more or less a moving living room. Our electromagnetic concept, which enables the movement within milliseconds and provides haptic feedback, is an excellent example for combination of design and technology. The surface material, which fulfills not only all standard automotive requirements, but also the requirements for illumination and morphine abilities, are fully elastic and reversible. This means that the material is completely relaxing to a flat surface again once these buttons disappear into the panel. Actually, could you also go a bit more into details how you work together? So not just about the Teorema concept, but also about the collaboration itself. So how were you able to communicate so well with each other? I mean, some parts of the teams were coming from the really technical background and some parts of the team were coming from the design background. So could you also maybe show a little bit of uh, behind the scenes details? How well did it work? Or maybe there are some funny stories Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> so we, we are collaborating together within teams and, and we also provide here some prototypes in order to see and, and to feel also the haptic, how does it look like. And there we also got some ideas from the designers in order what, what and how does a surface has to be look like. And we are doing then uh, from the technical point of view, implementing all these functions on demand. So to have this haptic feeling, to have the illumination inside the dashboard. And so we are coming together and have here the best approach of design and technology. Uh, then you have a really a very, very clear briefing. Okay, you need to do this and that. Is that possible, right? And of course, also trying to have some ideas and to see what can be derived from these ideas, what, what can be implemented from a technical point of view, exactly combining also the good and the best design. Collaboration, uh, especially with Jürgen's team, is obviously fundamental to come up with the great results that we have on this project. And, and of course, the technology from Continental has to be up to that amazing level, which of course it is. And we have to come up with wonderful ideas, which of course we do. But I think the key to our collaboration, especially when, don't forget, this was all done virtually because we're all under pandemic restrictions through the whole uh, uh, development time of this. So I think the thing that really was the key to, to this wonderful collaboration was passion, simple passion. And uh, we're passionate about what we're doing. Jürgen and his team, as you can tell, Uh, incredibly passionate about what they do. And it was that love of what they do together with ours that combines to make almost, you know, I would say almost easy to do wonderful work together because, you know, that, that connection of passion between the two groups was, was so intense. Uh, and that was the thing that cemented the relationship and made it really easy for us to work together, uh, especially under those very difficult uh, pandemic times. And uh, another aspect which uh, in Pininfarina we've developed, especially during those, those last months, is our, what we call our virtual lab, where we're using mixed reality, virtual reality, to really remotely be able to, to test these things full size. Uh, it sounds a little bit unusual, but because it's so real now, especially the mixed reality, we can pretty much sit in, in an in a almost real vehicle, shall we say, virtual real vehicle and then the ideas from Jürgen's team we can put them in position straight away 
using the data that we've got, we can see it, we can almost feel it, you can touch it, uh, in a sense that we would then make some small mock-ups, some foam mock-ups, just to check exactly where the seats were, just to check exactly where the, the panels should be for best ergonomics. And so passion and technology, uh, that's, what, you know, that's what made it possible. And you know, it's, it's really, it's hearable, it's visible, how this goes in this project. When, when one look at a Teorema project, it's really, it's, it's something there. As soon as I saw it, I said, okay, I need to know more about it and now how we ended up to be here, right? And actually what, what I also said in the introduction, actually passion and energy really sells best because you cannot fake it. You can fake everything, but not that. You can never fake energy and passion. Absolutely. You, could, you, you couldn't be more right. Alessandro, at Weire, you also have very good experience with excellent collaborations far beyond the Oremo project, such as, for example, with Coestro. What can we learn from you? How to set up well-functioning corporations? Yeah, for sure. We started a strong collaboration with the Piniparina team even before Teorema. It was more than two years ago. Covestro announced that CS 2020 and lately AGP eGlass, as we remember, so at, from uh, EAR 2021. So for us, partnerships are a key part of our strategy and uh, business development. And we are keen into developing strong uh, partnerships and collaboration, primarily with the uh, tier one and tier twos into the automotive industry, but as well as other tech company, design company and service company overall. Our goal being a, a startup developing deep tech is to be and remain uh, at the edge on the development, the design of our unique technology, including everything from the design uh, and uh, as well as the software, the design of the UI software and everything related to the IP, but then to collaborate with the strong uh, partners, whether it is tier one or tier two uh, in the example, to industrialize our technology in the different regions globally. We clearly as a startup uh, uh, are not into the strategy of building factories uh, all over the globe. So this is why um, we are keen into partnership. The experience is basically that uh, we need and want to find a partnership and a collaboration where the two companies together, they can kind of cross-fertilize each other, help into developing an overall better product and, and better experience for, uh, for the end user. And this is pretty pretty true with everyone uh, we are partnering with, at least with the ones that the public knows because they are already, let's say, of public domain. We are, of course, partnering with, with other firms, tier one series, as well as tech companies, and they have not uh, been announced yet, and they will be announced soon. Are you currently looking for some collaboration partners? Because our podcast is also known for that, that let's say, to bring people together. So. If you would like to say something, feel free to. For sure. I mean, thanks for the opportunity. I know that you have a very good and kind of technical uh, audience. Feel free to direct any opportunities to, to myself directly. We are for sure interested to get in touch, as I mentioned before, not only to tier one and tier twos in the automotive arena, as well as service company, tech company, digital companies. We are pretty much... Uh, digital and software-oriented companies. So our key expertise is not only into the development of the hardware and the optics, 
analytics, but we want to develop the full ecosystem and give the full end user experience. That's why, as I mentioned before, we are also developing the SDK in the marketplace. So anything that could be interesting for your audience is also interesting, I think, for us with regards to collaboration. So feel free to drop me an email and uh, looking forward to talk to any new partner, potential partner in the weeks to come. So the audience, you heard the requests or the goals. So feel free to contact us or to contact directly Alessandro Dini. And now, um, Xavier, in terms of your background, you don't come from a classical product design background. And you said yourself in our preliminary interview, you are also not a car guy. Is it often an advantage because you can look at things with much more distance? Yes, I definitely hold the conviction that it is a plus in the sense that Design is not only about doing the thing right. I mean, designing beautiful things, beautiful objects. Before that, design is all about helping our clients like define the right thing to do. And, and this is where, I mean, the whole like, uh, focus of experience design and strategic design is exactly there. It is really like in the, before we go into the, the actual physical design of an object or of a vehicle, Or, or of an interior or the digital design of a digital experience, before that comes in a, in a, in a first phase, that very important moment in which we, we will try to define what is it, what is the experience that is going to bring value for the people that I'm designing for, given their circumstances, contexts, realities. This is, and this is where by not coming from, um, uh, not being a car guy. I'm, I'm actually not a trained designer. I came to design through practice, like over the nearly 30 years of my professional career. But it means that I'm not attached to any, any particular domain. So I don't have anything that I cherish that I would like to, to push or that will actually like skew my, the way I look at things. And the way we, we look at uh, strategic design um, classically is that looking at, at people that I mean normally come from a multitude of, of backgrounds precisely because I mean that helps these people to not to be too tightly attached to a particular domain of uh, interest or of love. You know, it sounds a little bit like the description of Buddhism also, no? so not to be attached is a plus. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And now comes the promised tricky question. Kevin, this is by far not our first project with the design world. And that's why I'm very aware of how busy creative people are, what an insane pace there is and what kind of pressure one is permanently exposed to. Usually we tend to think that one is more likely to be able to develop creativity in a relaxed environment. Is it a cliche? Or what is your secret to being creative in this immensely challenging design world? Oh, that's a really hard question to answer. There's all sorts of theories and people say, you know, you need, you need peace, you need time. No, you need pressure. Uh, I don't think anything, any, any of those are, are true by themselves. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, but more than anything, again, it goes back to passion. You have to want to do it. You have to really want, you have to love doing it. And... Um, I think you need a little bit of, of pressure. You do. Uh, to be honest, you know, I, I personally, as a designer, I'd be quite happy to take things at my own pace. And if I did that, nothing would ever get done because I'd still be thinking about it and not actually doing it. 
So I need a little bit of pressure to push me in the right direction. That's me personally. And I think by and large, most designers are like that. And they need an element of competition. I don't think if there's no real strong competition on a design program, that there's any, you know, it's difficult to develop that, that, that extra power needed to overcome the pressure. And, and that could be competition between designers sketching against each other to try and win the, the final design. Or it could literally, and this is what was so nice on Teorema, the competition was against a kind of like the, what's the word? It's difficult to explain, but I think society has somehow accepted the situation it's in at the moment. So, oh, there's loads of traffic queues. Oh, we can't do anything about it. And our competition was, no, no, we want to fight. There has to be, you know, we, we, want, to, we want to fight that paradigm. We want, we want to fight that kind of almost laziness, you know. So we said, you know, what would we need to do? Where, you know, that's the competition. What would we need to do to move that, to give people that passion back? Of course, it's all theoretical. It's a, it's a concept car that's, uh, that's not going on the road. But even in a theor- theoretical project like that, you need that element of competition, that element of pressure. Um, having said that, if you don't have the right amount of time then to transfer those ideas to a, to a proper design, then you're going to suffer on design quality. So it literally is, it's the word that you've used many times today. It's all a question of balance. That's true. Thank you also for being so super honest. And may you always find the balance between pressure and having time and yeah, having this kind of freedom to design. And now let's stay at the topic of high goals. Jürgen, high goals naturally means great successes when it works out well, but can also mean tough setbacks. How do you cope with the setbacks? How do you manage to look ahead and not dwell on the past? So setbacks are natural in conceptual and creative ways of work, but you can only be successful if you continue to experiment and improve the technologies and building test types. So you will get the result of our daily work and we have the passion and the willingness to have success and to bring these products then into the market. This is the only way to create innovations like we did with our morphing technologies. We are very proud at Continental Engineering Services We have here a dedicated budget to work on our pre-development project like this. And our, our success proves us that we are on the right path. Our customers confirm with their high interest on our morphing technology and that this product will be certainly be a part of the future vehicle generation. This is the best motivation for us. It drives us forward to bring the technologies into the car. So innovation as a driving force for, let's say, further successes. Right. Mm -hmm. And now, Alessandro, what has been the best advice of your life so far and why? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if it was a, a direct advice from, uh, from anyone in person. It was just something that I gained across different, let's say, experiences and, and events. But I would say that one of my best advice would be always to challenge yourself as a person, as a human being, so not only, let's say, professionally and, and challenge the status quo and challenge the status quo every single day. And this could be in, in, in any sort of dimension of, of your life, as I said, personal and, and professional. I would say that for sure uh, here at Twery, I am challenging, we are challenging as a team, 
uh, the status quo of, let's say, HD technology and what could be achievable, let's say, with, with this technology on, on a daily basis. So I like it very much. And we are really trying to challenge every day the status quo, try to do something different, learn every day, also with kind of mistakes and drawback. But this is part of, of course, the learning curve. If you want to do something, breakthrough, something completely new. So this would be the, let's say, advice on, on challenge yourself and the status quo and, and grow and learn, even if that's complex. And sometimes it's uh, via, via some kind of mistake and, and hard time. So then the startup environment is absolutely perfect for you. And how do yes, you... indeed. And how do you cope then with this fast pace? I mean, it's, it's incredible speed of a startup environment. How do you cope with that? Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I remember that when I was in corporate, there was the way of saying that between corporate to, uh, let's say, consultancy and big firm, there's there's an effect of like 2x or, or, I don't know, 3x in the pace of dealing with the projects or learning or growing. I would say that between corporate then and startup, at least with us, it, it would be like 4x or 5x, I mean, due to the amount of new things that you put in place, the amount of the speed of execution of the projects, the amount of also scaling the organization, the company in, in you know, opening new offices and hiring new people. I don't think there's a, just a silver bullet. There's not, I think, also a training in this. It's just a matter of focusing, putting your energy, put, of course, your previous expertise uh, in having seen maybe some, some complex reality and how this complex reality are dealing with things and have a very good uh, team working and a very good communication because that is always, let's say, reducing the time, the time to market or also internally in a project. And of course, and this is, I think, key in every startup, it's reduce the kind of bureaucracy as much as possible. So really put the energy, put the hours, put the money where you can really have the better return for the investment and then put your energy in, in this and, and believe in what you're doing. I think this is this is the core things. I think we are very lucky here at Query. Today, we are around 20, 250 employees and counting, growing quite rapidly, different locations globally. We managed to keep a very unite culture, even with like a few tens of nationalities now present into the company. And, you know, you really need to feel that, that you are here to contribute and you have a common goal and you want to change something and do something better, not only for the automotive industry, but in general. And all the best for you that you can find every day the new challenge, which suits you well. Usually we have the opposite problem that there's too many challenges and you cannot <laughs> tackle all of them at the same time, but thanks. But at least setting priorities, right? For sure. <laughs> setting priority rights is a good one. And now my last question to all of you. What is the guiding life motto for each of you? So keeping in mind the setbacks, I would like to have the motto of my life. So um, I'm always thinking about living on Earth may be expensive, but it includes an annual free trip around the sun. <laughs> And Kevin? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh, wow, that's good. Normally, we don't, going back to your last question about Uh, timing and pressure on projects don't normally have time to think about uh, <laughs> those kind of uh, light motiva. I think for me, it's, it's, it's a question of always being inquisitive, never being satisfied with a solution in front of you, always trying to find an alternative way to do it. That's part of the, the design passion. 
alternative doesn't always mean it's a better solution, but I think a designer really needs that challenge. And the, the target is, of course, when you do come up with something that is an improvement on the situation around you. But I think it's, it, it's basically, for me, important that uh, stay inquisitive, stay creative, stay passionate. So absolutely the growth mindset, actually. So never stop improving. Indeed, indeed. But how do you finish that project? How do you say that is now for now good enough? <laughs> that never happens. And I don't know one project that we've ever worked on in the past or future, even where a designer will say, oh, that's good enough. That's not the mindset. Absolutely not. That doesn't exist. You know, if, 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 if you use the mindset that's good enough, then you're not a designer. <laughs> okay, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's never good enough. It's never good enough. And, and always after a project's finished, all designers think, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. It's not till a few years later when you look at something like a car on the road that you did before, uh, when you think, oh, that's really nice. And then uh, and you forget the negatives and you forget the little bits you could have improved. I think that it takes time to do that. But when you're actually working on something or just finishing something, you always think you can improve. Usually past looks always better in the memories, it's set, right? So maybe it is. Hmm. I think the life model would be to put your energy when you can create value for the people that you work for and you work with. That would be my life model. But that is a very professional life model. So what is your general life model in everything what you do? I, I would say that, I mean, the, the way I, I work is uh, very much a reflection of the way I live. So I, I try to live the same. So I think in, in what I do, I try to bring what, what, what I can bring to the people with me, around me. So it could be my family, definitely, my, my kids, but I mean also I mean, the people around me. I mean, I think my, my motto is always to try to, I mean, if I can contribute in, uh, in making the, the life of the people around me better, and that's probably what I strive for. That is a very good life motto. Alessandro? I try, yeah, I try to be consistent. I would say that if I have to think about a word, it's about consistency. So you have to try to be consistent with yourself. Uh, with your values, and then that I think I mentioned before, uh, combine the, the the personal life and and the values to the professional one. Because nowadays we all know that they are more merged uh, than than ever before in the past. So it's it's about consistency to have a, a clear set of values and also goals, and have them properly, let's say, aligned between professional and personal life. Thank you very much. Actually, you are so similar in your life motto, you know? It's super, super matching, right? <laughs> That's why we are partner at the end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of you, Jürgen, Alessandro, Xavier, Kevin, for this great discussion, for all the insights from the design side, but also from the technology side. Thank you for this great glimpse behind the scenes of such an excellent project as Theorema. I wish you to continue to have a lot of drive, enthusiasm, and passion to keep on inspiring the world with your ideas and changing it for the better. See you next time. So thank you very much, Ludmilla, for giving us this opportunity presenting our smart surfaces. And hopefully we will join the next podcast again. Ludmilla, thanks a lot for having us today. It was uh, uh, an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to speak again soon. Yes, Ludmilla, thanks also from my side and from the Extended Way Ray team. It was a pleasure to meet in person also at IA. 
and also have the opportunity to be part of your podcast today. And also looking forward to, of course, hear any type of comments or questions or opportunities from your extended network. I know very professional people. So looking forward also to that opportunity in the coming weeks. Thanks. I'd like to, uh, at this moment, you know, thank everyone who's been involved in this uh, podcast. Obviously, Ludmilla, thank you for setting it up in the first place and to give us all a voice uh, to explain, you know, the work we've done, the passion we've put into it, the love we've put into it. Uh, so thanks to you all. And thanks for, you know, the guys listening. And I hope it uh, sets a spark off in your minds and, uh, you know, kicks your creativity off as well. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.